If a father knows his identity, his family will reach its destiny. Discover how to become the man, the father, and the leader that God has called and destined you to be. The Fathers of St. Joseph is an apostolate that works for the restoration, redemption, and revitalization of authentic fatherhood, whose aim is to assist each father to become who God has called them to be. Like St. Joseph, a father on earth, like the Father in heaven. To rediscover and recover the glory, power, and necessity of the vocation of fatherhood, access key resources at fathersofstjoseph.org. invoke our patron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. St. Joseph, Guardian of Virgins. St. Joseph, Glory of Home Life. St. Joseph, Pillar of Families. St. Joseph, Head of the Holy Family. Mary Joseph, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let Jesus be conceived in each and every one of us. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm glad to see that there's a, a good group of guys here this morning, considering that the first announcement went out and said December 4th, which is tomorrow. And uh, there was only one person who told me that. <laughs> emailed back. So none of you guys open up the announcements. Uh, pretty humiliating on many accounts. But humiliations lead to humility, right? And humility leads to greatness. Well, let's, uh, let's begin. Recently, a friend of mine who has six children, all of them are grown up, all of them are out of the house, but none of them, none of them practice the Catholic faith. And he was confessing to me how vexed and perplexed he is by this fact that none of his children out of the six practice the Catholic faith. And he described how he sacrificed for them his whole life. He would work long hours. He would even work weekends. He would... Uh, he, he bought them each a car when they turned 16, when they began to drive. He paid for each of their college tuition. He loaded them with Christmas gifts. Time and time again, he even bought a summer home on the beach in order that they could have great family vacations and have that close familial bond. And yet, looking back, he started reflecting. As he was describing this, he actually confessed. He said, you know what? I feel like I've given my family everything and yet left, left them with nearly nothing. I feel like I've given them everything and left them with nearly nothing. How can this be? How can a father work so hard, labor so much, and leave his children, or feel, at least feel like he's left his children with nothing? And in fact, the children abandon their spiritual father. Often in the baby boomer generation, the American men were driven by this ideal that they had it very difficult. They had to work very hard. And therefore, they did not want their children to have to work like that. They, want, they wanted it different for their kids. So these men, they labored on their father's farms for food, right? They, you know, they chopped wood uh, and, and stored it uh, so they would have heat in the winter. They dug wells so they'd have water. And in all of that, they realized what a burden that was, and they did not want to burden us, their children, with those same burdens. And so they worked intelligently. They worked diligently in order that we could turn on a switch and have electricity, have light, in order that we could turn on a faucet and have water in order that we didn't have to worry about the mortgage payment and always have shelter over our head and not worry about the next food that came onto our tables, right? But some of them, and not all of them, in doing this, in providing in this way, not intentionally, did us a disservice. They provided materially, but often forgot that the material goods are meant to lead to the sp spiritual good, to the spiritual reality. And so today, you know, you talk to a lot of these guys, I talk to a lot of these older men, and they have that same sentiment. 
that they've provided for their families, but they feel the same way that, you know, I worked hard, I provided for my families, I gave them everything, but yet I feel like they have nothing. I feel like they've lost their faith. Now, during our last Fathers of St. Joseph session, we talked about how a father leads by loving and he loves by leading and that he has to assume that charitable authority in order for his family to follow him to God. And charitable authority is expressed in three fundamental expressions, ways. It's to protect, right? To provide and to teach. And last time we talked about that expression of protecting. The enemy, we have the enemies, remember the world, the flesh and the devil. And the world is trying to keep our children from getting to heaven. And so we are, we are called to protect. We have the responsibility to protect them from the world in order that they may achieve heaven. And today we're going to talk about providing and how the flesh is at enmity with the spirit. And the flesh is trying to take down our children and take down our families so they don't live by the Holy Spirit, so they don't have the spirit of God living in them. And the way that we actually provide for them in the spiritual dimension to lead them to the spirit is by providing. So that's what we're going to discuss today. Now, the enemy, the flesh, relentlessly tempts us human fathers to fixate on that which is temporal, that which is material, rather than to focus on the spiritual. But Jesus said that the spirit gives life and the flesh is of no avail. And St. Paul tells us in Romans, he says that the spirit, the wisdom of the flesh is, it, is hostile to the spirit of God. And so there's a great tenacious battle between the flesh and between the spirit. Now, we got to understand what the flesh is and what it isn't. The flesh isn't necessarily the body. The body is good. The body is an expression of the mystery of our person and the mystery of God. But the flesh is concupiscence, that downward pull of sin, our carnal appetites that have become depraved. This is the battle. The devil is constantly luring us by means of our carnal appetites, our disordered appetites toward hell. While God is drawing us by means to live in his Holy Spirit. Now, by living by the flesh, that brings forth death. That brings forth death to our souls and death to our children's souls. But living by the Spirit, it brings forth goodness, life, truth. And that's what we really all hunger for deep down. Too often, we fathers, we think that life is just this series of cycles of, of you know, days and months and years of eating, sleeping, waking and working, only to do it all again, only to provide for the flesh, only to provide for the carnal desires, right? But Jesus says to us, he says, is not living more than shelter and clothing? He's really calling us to examine what we're providing for, why we're living. When we provide in a way that's just for the flesh, it robs, robs our family of its vitality, of its vibrancy, of that life in the spirit. Why? Such provision just for the flesh actually allows our children to intuit that all that matters is the acquisition of goods, right? Think about it. When our children only see us living for the flesh, then they think that their life, all it's about is acquiring goods, and that actually kills their souls. So we've got to determine how it is that we're really supposed to provide, a way to provide that actually makes sense. It's actually going to lead our children to spiritual life. So what do we need to do? We need to place our occupation at the service of our vocation. Our identity as human fathers is not derived as much from our occupation as it is from vocation, from our vocation. And what is our vocation? We are all husbands and fathers. That word vocation, voca, comes from the word vox, the Latin word vox, which means voice. 
And so our vocation is God's call in our life. It is God's mission in our life. And if you are a husband or father or a priest, that is your vocation. That is your path to holiness and no other path will be given. Your occupation, you will not be congratulated, made a saint in heaven because of your occupation. You'll be congratulated, made a saint in heaven because you died to yourself for the sake of your vocation. See, at work, I'm replaceable, but at home, I'm irreplaceable, right? So I'm identified, you're identified, not for what we do for a living, but for whom we are living. So our occupation is fundraising for our ministry, which is our family. So my family is not at the service of work and goods. Goods and work are at the service of my family. And grace builds upon nature. So it's important that we use the goods that we provide to provide a path to the ultimate good, to God. We use the goods that we provide, food, clothing, shelter, to provide a path to the ultimate good, which is God. Okay? So we've got to mark out this path by using these goods, food, clothing, shelter, the way that we provide. So we've got to determine whether or not goods are mastering us or if we're mastering goods. If we're providing for the flesh in order to lead our family to the spirit, or rather, are we providing for the flesh at the expense of the spirit? So how do we determine this? There's four fundamental things we can do in this area of providing. We, it's the four A's. We analyze, right? We admit, we ask, and we act. And so let's, uh, let's analyze. Okay, so to become great fathers, and I've got a handout here, talking point number one here. To become great fathers and great children, it's imperative that we analyze how and why we provide. We've got to ask ourselves some basic questions. These questions can be difficult, and they can be very revealing if we do our homework. What's my motive behind my work, behind providing? Is it for my ego? Is it for my family? Why do I work late? Why do I want a different job? Why do I strive to earn more money? Why do I play the lottery? Why do I want a bigger house, a nicer car, more goods? All these things are good in themselves, but why do I want them? What is the spiritual purpose behind, behind feeding and providing for our children? Am I providing goods to fulfill a spiritual end, or am I using material goods to be an end in themselves? So in other words, what's my motivation behind providing? See, our interior life gives our exterior life form. What I believe on the inside, who I am on the inside, is going to come out on the outside. And so it's very important that we analyze our motives for the reasons we're providing for our families. So there's three basic areas, shelter, food, clothing. So my, ho my home, my shelter. Do I provide a house to protect my children from the elements and to provide a place of lodging? Or, more importantly, do I provide a home in, in that it be a refuge from the world, a refuge from Satan, a place of safety where my children, it's a house, it's a house in which my children can actually be formed into spiritual houses, temples of God, right? So a simple way to evaluate this and ask ourselves whether or not we're really using our house as a domestic church is, is my home peppered with images of our Lord and our Lady and the saints, or is it peppered with the, you know, our favorite athletes and our favorite celebrities and maybe, uh, you know, cheeky art or whatever. Not that those things are bad, but we need to find a balance, right? We need to find a balance. In the living room, is the Bible the centerpiece? It's a tough question. Is the Bible the centerpiece? Do we have spiritual books laying around or is the TV the centerpiece? Is my home a boarding house for future pro athletes 
and college uh, academic stars? Or is it actually a place of prayer, a place of familial love, a place of play and pray? Or is it simply a place to veg out and be entertained? These are tough questions. I have to ask myself these questions. And it's very important that we do our homework on these questions because it really reveals why we're doing what we're doing when we're providing for our families. Food. Food isn't only just to nourish our children's bodies, but it's also a symbol and a practical reminder of God's generosity, his benevolent love for us. And it's also a type of the food, a, a, a symbol of the food that we receive at the Mass. God the Father draws us around his dinner table and he gives us his food, his bread, Jesus Christ, the bread of life in the Eucharist. And so how do we evaluate this? Some questions we can ask ourselves to see if we're really providing food in order to lead our children to spiritual food is this. Do we consistently have family dinner together? Family dinner is totally under attack in this era right now more than any other time. Families struggle to meet for dinner, and this is precisely where the family is formed and where children learn morals, great moral lessons at the dinner table. Do I consistently meet for dinner with my family? And if I do, do I lead prayer and thanksgiving to Almighty God, like the priest does at Mass, when we're gathering around God's food, bread, the Eucharist? Do I use food as a way to lure my kids out to go out so I can get to know them? Because my kids don't want to go out with me for any other reason other than food, right? So I use food to do that but it's a great way to get to know them. Or am I just simply sitting down for dinner, grabbing what's in the refrigerator, or just trying to get by, and I don't even thank God for it. I don't even teach my children that this is God's provision. God has provided for us. The third area, clothing. And this is a little bit of a tough one. A father provides clothing, yes, so the child can be protected from physical exposure, right, and poverty, but it's also so that a child can comprehend God's desire that the child be protected from the shame of lust, from the shame of sinful exposure. So how, do we, how can we evaluate this? What are some questions we can ask ourselves in this area? Do we actually talk to our sons and daughters about the true meaning of the body, about their sexuality, and how beautiful it is, about sexual intercourse and how God created to be a sign of his union with Christ and his church? Do we talk about the dignity of the body and how their bodies are an expression of their interior person? Do we explain these things to them? And then do we tell them that, that and explain to them why they need to dress reverently and modestly and in a dignified manner in order, order to hold up their interior dignity? Or do we just encourage them to buy the latest fads and the latest trends or don't say anything about it and we're wearing those tight jeans and those, you know, the skirt that's basically a wide belt, you know what I mean? So we, we really need to... Because the thing is, is we don't put our pearl before swine. And our children are our pearls. Our children are our greatest talents. And we just don't throw them the dogs and the lust of men. I remember a father, uh, a friend of mine, his wife, when she was in high school, her name was Elizabeth. She wanted to go to the beach with her friends. And she wanted to wear with her friends, you know, they all wanted, were wearing two pieces. And so she asked her dad, that was pretty good of her. And her dad said, no, you're going to wear the one piece. And she was fuming. Did I tell you guys this? She was just fuming. She was so upset. And so she held true. She went to the beach in the wrestling singlet, you know, and, uh, you know, got through it. And, uh, and so she didn't talk to her dad for a long time, for weeks, right? And finally, she finally went back to her dad. And she said, Dad, why did you embarrass me like that? Why did you make me wear, you know, the, the one piece? Why couldn't I just be like my friends? 
And he said, because you do not realize the beauty that you have been given. You are beautiful. You are a symbol of God's glory. And you are not to be thrown to the lust of men. And she tells this story today, and she beams. She loves it. She loves her father. And she said that made such a deep impression on her life that she actually found herself. She found an inner dignity that she didn't even know that she had. She was worthy of God's love, and it wasn't to be thrown to the lusts of men. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so after we've analyzed, right, we've asked all the tough questions, then we need to admit, ask, and act. And these, are, these three things are laid out in Psalm 51 beautifully. And so Psalm 51 is a repentant psalm of David, the greatest repentant psalm. And so we need to admit, and I've got that here in talking point number two. The psalmist says, For I confess my iniquity, and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone I have sinned, and what is evil in your sight, O God, I have done. And so, <clears throat> after analyzing our motives, and if we determine that we've made our ideals idols, like Father was talking about, because that's what we're talking about right now, is we're making our ideals in the way that we provide idols. If we come to that point where we realize this, it's crucial that we admit this to God, particularly in the sacrament of confession. That is a great way to humble yourself before God, and we know that the humble will be exalted. So it's vital to state in all humility, God, I've fallen into materialism. God, I've had vain ambitions, you know, false pursuits of glory. Please help me. And we need to, we need to, in, in a sense, we need to admit that our fleshly appetites have robbed us of our fatherly leadership or hindered it at some level. So it's very important that we admit our weakness to God. The second thing is we need to ask or ask. The psalmist says, sprinkle me with hyssop and I shall be cleansed. Wash me and I shall be made whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have crushed rejoice. Turn thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create a pure heart in me, O God. A resolute spirit renew within me. Can you, that's just such a beautiful prayer. And so we need to ask our Lord for his redemptive grace. And the Lord promises that whoever asks for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be given. That God says, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. He will forgive our sins, but we must admit them. And then we need to ask. We need to be humble enough to ask for that redemptive grace that reintegrates us and make us whole. And part of the asking is, Lord, show me how to be a great leader. Show me how to lead my family to you. I need your vision, Lord. And he will show you. And then the third thing is we need to act. And the psalmist says, I will teach the wicked your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. My sacrifice, a contrite spirit, a contrite and humbled heart, O God, you will not despise. <clears throat> so the thing here is that <clears throat> the psalmist, he's repenting. And part of the repentance is once he changes, he's going to teach the sinners. That's what we've got to do. We've got to change. We've got to repent. We've got to admit that we've done wrong. But then what we need to do is we need to teach those sinners, those children of ours, <clears throat> right? We need to teach them what it means to use clothing, shelter, and the goods of life in a way that brings about glory for God. <clears throat> now, so we need to act. Maybe we need to adorn our homes with more, little more images and reminders of our Lord and his mother and the saints. Maybe we need to have family dinner a little bit more. Maybe we need to put activities at the service of our family rather than our family at the service of activities. You know, and this isn't just for us young fathers. You grandpas, my, my dad, I love what my dad in union with my mom has done. Their home is a domestic church. 
And all the grandkids, my, my children and their cousins, love going over to grandma and grandpa's house to play. They just love it. They don't care about the sacred images on the wall as far as being a negative or anything like that. They love going to grandma and grandpa's house. And what I love about it, it's a seamless extension of what I am. My religious values, my moral values, my beliefs. It's a seamless extension at grandpa and grandma's house. So when they go there, my children don't think I'm weird. Well, they, they do think I'm weird. But not because of my faith. And so, so we all have a part to play in this. We grandpas, you know, we, we, we need to create a domestic church, a holy environment for our grandchildren, a safe place to play and pray. And we need to encourage our sons to do the same. St. Joseph, he provided for the Holy Family materially, but that material provision always was at the service of providing for Mary and, and Jesus spiritually. Joseph fed bread to the bread of life, and it's from that bread that we all have life, and that's our job. We're called to feed our children with bread, provide for them so that they can grow and become other Christs, which feed this starving world, and this world is starving. We need other Christ in his name. Amen? Amen. 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 So the question I leave with you today is, what ways can we use our provisions in the way that we provide, in our occupation, to be at the service of our vocation and to lead our children to the spiritual goods, to lead our children to God? So I leave you with that question. If a father knows his identity, his family will reach its destiny. Discover how to become the man, the father, and the leader that God has called and destined you to be. The Fathers of St. Joseph is an apostolate that works for the restoration, redemption, and revitalization of authentic fatherhood, whose aim is to assist each father to become who God has called him to be. Like St. Joseph, a father on earth, like the Father in heaven. To rediscover and recover the glory, power, and necessity of the vocation of fatherhood, access key resources at fathersofstjoseph.org.